Movies and Booze on Moncrief with Marks and Spencer. They're gonna make me a dining offer I can't refuse. A martini, shaken monster. Of all the gin joints in all the world, she walks into mine. Welcome back to the Moncrief Show. It's everybody's favourite time of the week. It is Movies and Booze. Joining me in studio to talk about movies, Chris Vosser or Wasser. How do you like to pronounce it? Uh, yeah, Wasser's good. Wasser, yeah. okay. I'm German, so we'd say Wasser, which is <laughs> uh, which is the German for water, which we will not be drinking because Mick O'Neill is here to talk about booze and Fanula Jones is here to talk all things entertainment. I will start with you, Mick. Tell me about the two wines we're going to be talking about today. So we've got two Bordeaux-alike wines. So Bordeaux is kind of the... If you're a wine nerd like me, it's the first page in the wine book. Okay. So this is really like like home to wine nerds, home to wine collectors, all of that type of stuff. And and it is the wine made from around Bordeaux City on the Atlantic coast of, of France. Okay. These guys are two kind of copycats in that they use Bordeaux grape varieties, but in different parts of the world. Okay. So, so are they allowed to be called Bordeaux? No. No. But in, in the wine trade, we'd call them Bordeaux blends if they're using the same grape varieties mm-hmm. as what is used in, in, Bordeaux. in Bordeaux. So one of the wines is from very, very far from Bordeaux. It's about an hour's drive inland, okay. but it's from a region called Bergerac. Yes. So Bergerac, people will know if they holiday in France, is, is quite popular with Irish tourists. And is an, is an hour away... Diff- like far enough away to change the flavour profile of a grape? That is a very good question. <laughs> and and is one of kind of much debate again, again amongst us wine nerds. Right. Okay. So like, for example, in the New World, so anywhere outside of Europe, basically, that makes wine. So Australia, US, Chile, Argentina, you go and you look at a single vineyard mm-hmm. and it could be all that you see in front of you until the horizon is the single vineyard kind mm-hmm. of thing. Whereas in somewhere like Burgundy or somewhere like Bordeaux, a single vineyard quite often is about the size of a football pitch. So okay. it's tiny. Right. So when we talk Bordeaux-Burgundy, we talk terroir, which is the nerdy name for kind of environment. Mm-hmm. But we talk terroir on a micro scale. But then when we get into the new world, quite often we're talking about it on a massive scale. On a massive scale. Okay. So, so in one sense, is an hour's drive enough to change stuff? Not really. But then in another sense... Just the price of land in Bergerac is about a tenth of the price of land in Saint-Emilion, which is the part of Bordeaux that is A, famous, and B, an hour's drive. Okay. And what is the second wine then? Other one is from California. So California is the the kind of... (laughs) Ever heard of of Cali? (laughs) But this is Contra Costa County, which is, again, just inland from the West Coast famous city, San Francisco. So it's... Napa is kind of... Inland and up from San Francisco. This is just inland. So it's across from Berkeley. Okay. So we have Bordeaux grapes, one from an hour outside Bordeaux and another one from California. One from as far away as you can get from Bordeaux. Well, I'm sure there's further, but let's see. Okay. Thank you so much. Looking forward to trying those. Chris, talk to us about the movies we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at two very different films. Please say we're going to be looking at a decent Adam Sandler comedy. You are so not invited to my bat mitzvah. I don't think I've ever said that sentence before. Well, you Um, wouldn't. Although, I mean, we will talk about the fact that I've always thought Adam Sandler punches way below his weight and that, you know, he is a better actor than people give him credit. 
credit for. And But this new deal that he struck, I say new deal, but a couple of years ago, he struck a monumental deal with Netflix worth around 250 to $300 million, where he would just be pumping out comedies and dramas just for them. Um, so far, most of them have been wobbly. This, is, this one's actually quite sweet and it involves a lot of his family members too. So we'll be looking at that. The other one is in cinemas, the Equalizer 3, which is more Denzel doing more equalizing, kind of, you know, standing up for the little man, retired assassin, you know, basically sorting out the bad eggs of this world. And okay. in this one, he is in Italy, uh, surrounded by quite a bit of wine. And there is actually a, quite a bit of action in the vineyard at one stage. Yeah. Although I don't think the kind of stuff that happens in the vineyard in this film has ever happened in real life before. Okay. Hopefully not. Anyway. Well, I haven't seen the Equalizer 1 or 2, so I'm looking forward to learning all about that. Fanula, talk to us about our first entertainment story. Yes, so Selena Gomez was in a little bit of hot water this week. As we know, the actors and the writer strike is ongoing and yes. there are a lot of rules around what union members can post. Like, broadly speaking, they're not supposed to be talking about any current projects that are mm-hmm. out. Uh, her most recent season of Only Murders in the Building is only out like two weeks, I think. It's the third season. Um, and she had a video up on her Instagram that was like kind of a behind the scenes kind of look, I think. It basically said that she was like missing her time on set or whatever else. That kind of qualifies as a rule breach, I suppose. So people are obviously very cross. Um, people as in the public or people as in her agents and the unions? I'd imagine, well, definitely the unions. And I think there was obviously a majority of her followers um, kind of cross about this. Like she has like a huge amount of followers. It was up for 15 hours. It had gotten like 1.1 million likes. Um, now it was pulled down pretty much straight after that then and once it was kind of brought up but um, yeah accused of scabbing which is the term used to when we're talking about like breaking the rules so yeah it's the it's it's the industry version of crossing the picket yes exactly I am also yeah. impacted by this strike haven't been to the cinema because of it I'm part because I'm part of the screenwriters guild mm. um, so yeah, it is a pretty serious thing, but I would have thought a s- Instagram post isn't a... Well, like, okay, it, there's an argument to be made as well that like Selena Gomez has been very vocal about her own struggles with mental health and stuff. And I yeah. think there's colloquial, uh, colloquial. I, I think she said previously that she doesn't always manage her own social media. Social it's like, medias. how could you when you're that famous? And she is one of the most followed people on that platform as well. Yeah. So there's an argument to be made that maybe someone posted something in error. There's an argument against that that's like, well, they still should have known because it's such high profile such series high profile thing, yeah. and it's such a high profile event that's still ongoing. Crazy to think that it still is. Um, but yeah, she's kind of from what I've seen in terms of the media coverage of this, it's kind of seemingly been glossed over since because yes. she's broken her hand and stuff since and she's a new song out that has kind of uh, encapt- in, engrossed the media coverage more so than her being a scab. But song. there are other, like other other actors are kind of a little bit in hot water because of things they've done too, aren't they? Or people are trying to get around the strike. I say. haven't, yeah, I haven't seen anyone else of that high profile getting in trouble, we'll say, but obviously you have the Venice Film Festival on at the minute, which mm-hmm. is like, a huge opportunity and a huge talking point. Adam Driver is there. He's starring in the upcoming uh, Michael Mann movie, Ferrari. And he's allowed to be there. I think they've kind of worked something out with the union because he's there basically to kind of call out the likes of Amazon and Netflix for refusing to meet SAG-AFTRA's demands. Um, he's basically said he's very proud to be here to be a visual representation of a movie that's not part uh, of it and to promote the SAG leadership directive, which is an effective tactic, uh, which is in the interim agreement. So um, it's good to have people like that be there and speak so 
kind of openly right. and in an accessible way so that people kind of get it because I think there's a thing because we're going into like the hundreds of days now mm-hmm. that people are kind of there's more politically correct way to say this but like not caring or they're just so kind of like oh yeah they're still on strike lol I don't think people really understand what's happening and I think that people because you still have Netflix going on you can still sit down watch whatever you want it's not impacting people the way it would have if we were still dependent on terrestrial television exactly but I would say I feel like the time is coming when we will start feeling it we have a a glut of content at the minute but at some point if this keeps going content's going to run out you know what I mean and we're going to have I think that's the point though Love Island out the wazoo and Real Housewives and stuff which I want (laughs) but a lot of other people don't which is fair enough so um and talk to me about Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and their, their I guess, interlink with the strike. Yeah, so uh, all of the late night shows in the States are on strike as well because they predominantly rely on writers. writers. Um, so Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, I think it's John Oliver, a few of the others anyway, they started this podcast called Strike Force 5 um, and all the proceeds from the podcast, it's a limited run. They're going to uh, the people affected by the strikes, their staff and stuff like that. And Jimmy Kimmel was saying on a recent episode uh, that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon contacted him to be like, we will pay your staff while this is going on. Mm-hmm. Now he ended up declining the offer, but um, yeah, on he just their said, behalf, which I'm sure they loved. Yeah, no, they, they loved it. Yeah, because it's, like, it's great PR to be like, look at, oh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, so nice, whatever, put, putting their hands in their pockets, whatever. But, I'm um, sure yeah. the writers were like, yeah, I would have I would have taken that. <laughs> They're like, Jimmy, please, no, can we, can you ring Ben again, please? They My offered, mortgage. I think they offered to pay them for the last two weeks. Mm. So they would have been contracted and two weeks of that contract were not honoured because of the strike. Yeah. So they like, Ben Affleck was going to pay a week and Matt Damon was going to pay a week. Yeah. And then Jimmy Kimmel was like, no, which if I was a writer on that show, I'd be like, Jimmy, are you joking? Like, are you going to pay us? Like his argument was that it's not the actor's responsibility, which like I get, but like, I don't know, just take the sound gesture. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to be short of it. They're absolutely not. Matt Damon's not going to be opening the bank app being like, well, I'm stuck now this week for the milk, you know. need to Venmo this writer. I don't have it. I owe you. Uh, Right. So that's writer's strike ticked off. I wish. Um, talk to me about these grapes. What wine are we going to be talking about first? So we're going to talk about a wine from Bergerac, as we said, which is about an hour's drive inland from Saint-Emilion, which is already kind of a little bit further inland than Bordeaux City. Um, but the idea here is your um, Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon. So Merlot is the main grape variety and Merlot is probably the most grown grape variety in Bordeaux. Bordeaux's a... Um, an interesting place in wine terms in that you have six grape varieties that you're allowed to grow. In Bordeaux. In Bordeaux. Merlot being one of them. In, in order to be called Bordeaux wine, okay. you can grow these grapes. So it's Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc. This is where I get tested. Malbec, Carmenere, Petit Verdot. Okay. So the, the, the last two you don't tend to see very often, but the first four are kind of famous grape varieties and are used all over the world. You also now recently have, and this is quite a unique thing to Bordeaux, but they've bent the rules a little bit in order to allow kind of um, drought-resistant grape varieties be used. So you're now allowed to use Portuguese grape varieties like Torriga Nacional. They are very much in their infancy and very much a kind of test stage. So no one has really, no one has grown those grape varieties to commercialise them yet. So we're kind of, the main two are Merlot, and Cabernet Sauvignon. And that's what's in this particular wine. It's it's by a producer called Chateau Barouet. And these guys are natural wine producers. So they're kind of taking organic viticulture and 
taking it to the nth degree. They're like pretty idealistic about not using any chemicals, not using any chemicals in the winery. And I think some of that you can even smell on the nose of this particular wine. Let's like it's, smell it. I'm not going to taste it because I don't drink. You guys can smell it. To me, it smells like a red wine. <laughs> well, you, you, you know what? When non-drinkers say it smells like red wine, that is because the f- flavour and aroma compounds are 99.9% red wine. Right. Okay. And 0.1% the other stuff. Yes. And it's the 0.1% of other stuff that interests someone like me. But someone who doesn't drink, you're like, whatever, it's red wine. But to but, me, this so is quite can, floral. And you can taste the difference between a Merlot grape from Bordeaux and from an hour away and from California. Uh when I was studying and I was kind of doing my like, um, you know, running up the steps in Washington, D.C. kind of training. Yeah. Yes. OK. I, I, I would like to say now that I'd probably be slightly better than 50 percent correct and 50 percent wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but being honest. Blind tasting is really hard. Yeah. So like, sure. like it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, people. So I have a qualification that is particularly nerdy in wine and people love testing me blind, blind. Yeah, like, I kind of, of want to. Favorites. OK, well, we can do it. I mean, I've already admitted that I'm probably going to get it wrong. So, I mean, <laughs> we will do it after. It, it's not a great, interesting radio piece. You kind of yeah, need to see you. Um, but we've, talk to me about. We've blindfolded Mick, honestly. <laughs> give me uh, the. Talk to me about the nerdy flavour profile. Like what notes are we meant to be smelling and what, you know, how what, am I meant what, to feel? What's interesting to me about this particular wine, it's unoaked. Okay. So oh, wow. A, a lot of these, and all unoaked means is it doesn't go through oak barrels. So a lot of the Bordeaux style wines, they are put in oak barrels for a certain amount of time. The oak barrels gives them quite specific flavours, which we'll see in the next wine, like vanilla and kind of baking spice and all this kind of stuff. It also makes them feel a little bit supercharged. They, they're they kind of powered up a little bit, um, as we'll definitely see with the American wine, which is quite American and turned up to 11, if you see what I mean. Oh, yes. Um, okay. By comparison, certainly. This one's kind of more delicate. Without the oak, you're smelling directly what Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon give to a wine. And it's kind of, there's a slight floral note, kind of violets, lavender, that type of thing. But then the, the main body of the wine is kind of cassis, blackcurrant, and they're the main flavours that both Merlot and Cabernet tend to give. I will take your word for it. If people are listening and they like the cut of your jib, where can they find this uh, wine? The, How much is it? Yeah, so this is 24 quid. You'll get it in places like Green Man Wines. You'll get it in Neighbourhood Wine. And you'll get it online. And is that more or less expensive than the same grape from a mile away? If you were... An hour away, sorry. If you were looking at Saint-Emilion and you were looking at the same kind of production methods, mm-hmm. you'd probably be starting a good 20 quid more expensive than okay. what this is. Right. Um, Chris, what are we going to be speaking about first? We will speak about the Adam Sandler comedy. You are so not invited to my bat mitzvah. Edge of our seats. We'll see you after this. My bat mitzvah determines the rest of my life. If I have a kick-ass party, doors would open. And I just think Dua Lipa would make the party perfect. You can have a ball pit. That's for kids. I've had my period for seven months now. That's a long period, sweetheart. La 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 la. I'm not popular. What is happening? You look insane. Slay queen. I'm not a loser. I look like the lady that pulls kids out of class when their parents get into car accidents. 
How often does that happen? I might be a little obsessed. One day, Nicole Barb will be mine, and you will have a cool boyfriend too, and then we'll have a droning loss in Tribeca in Taylor Swift's building. I love nothing more than a coming-of-age movie. I think they're my favourite. Yeah. Is this it? Pretty much, yeah. It, it does actually um, reference John Hughes kind of coming-of-age classics throughout. I mean, at one stage you have the main character, Stacey there, played by Sonny Sandler, going to the pictures with her dad. Uh, I can't believe I just said the pictures, but uh, going to the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she's in a, she's in a, a movieplex uh, with her dad and there's a John Hughes season playing and they're trying to figure out which film to go to. And there are jokes and, you know, images in there that without John Hughes, you just wouldn't have this film. So it is a bit of a throwback. It's also, as I said at the top, a decent Adam Sandler comedy. And we just don't really have too many of those. Um, but I also said that Adam Sandler he is a better actor than people give him credit for. He has been doing some of the best work of his career alongside some of the worst over the last few years. So for every kind of murder mystery, murder mystery two, was it UB Halloween, Halloween, some, some sort of Halloween comedy. Uh, we also had Uncle Gems with the Safety by the Safety Brothers, which I really do think he should have been nominated for an Oscar for. It's, you think he was yeah, good in that? I he didn't was see fantastic it. in it. The most anxiety-inducing thriller I've seen in the last five years, but just terrific work. Um, terrific then as like a frazzled basketball coach in, in Hustle. And then, of course, there is, there's his work with Paul, uh, Paul Thomas ha- Anderson. So uh, there are filmmakers out there like the Safety Brothers, like Paul Thomas Anderson that can get the best out of Adam Sandler. But I think also, um, Alison Peck and uh, the this 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 film is is based on a Fiona Rosenblum a novel. If the material's right, we also get some 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 good stuff out of him. So this is part of his deal with Netflix, where he's just going to keep making films until he's like a billionaire. He might already be there. Um, but he's decided to bring his family along. So two of his daughters are, are his two daughters are in this film. Are they um, Jewish? Like, are, is Adam Sandler actually Jewish? Yes, he is. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Okay. Uh, so two of his daughters are in this film, and uh, his wife is in here too. And his wife has actually been in a, a, a bunch of his comedies before. But this. Film focuses on the youngest uh, Sandler it's Sonny Sandler she's playing a girl named Stacey Friedman she's 13 years old she is you know this shy um, kind of socially anxious middle schooler um, you know she has her BFFs but you know she's also part of like the unpopular crowd in middle school um, but never mind that she is focused on having the best bat mitzvah party ever and bat mitzvah and bar mitzvahs like they're not something that I know an awful lot about but apparently you know this film is kind of looking at this craze where it's not enough to just have a party after the actual bad mitzvah. It's not enough to come of age and have have a group of people tell mm-hmm. you that you're an adult now. You have to have a all you know a blowout rager basically. You know yeah. you you have to have the best singers, the best DJs, you know the best sweet stands. It's just outrageous. So it's this a girl, cultural phenomenon. It's, it's sort of like remember MTV used to have that show, My I'm Super Sweet 16. Sixteen. Yeah, but these are like. I think the bat mitzvah is the Jewish equivalent of our confirmation. Like they're yeah. not sixteen. Yeah, she's just. She's 13? Or? She's 13, yeah. yeah. Imagine actually someone saying to you in your confirmation, this is the first day you're an adult. That would yeah. be, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> and yet we give kids 50, like we give them cards full of money. And they're like, well, I want oh, to go no. to Smith's. <laughs> but actually this film is very good at sending up that idea um, that, you know, the, the stuff that kids ask for because, you know, Stacy is asking her parents. Her pl- parents are played by Adam Sandler and also Adina Menzel, which is, you know, Frozen Lady. Uh, let it go herself. Um, she's so in this too. She's in this too. She's playing, playing Stacy's uh, mom. Yeah. Stacy's mom. She's she playing Stacy's mom. She does, yeah, uh, that, that was a weird. That was a weird. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so Stacey is asking her mum uh, if Dua Lipa and Olivia Rodrigo, if they can basically fork out the cash to pay for, for those people, to, mm-hmm. for those singers to sing at her bar mitzvah. Absolutely not. Um, but look, at the end of the day, as long as her best pal is there, um, she, you know, Lorraine, she, she, she Lydia, sorry, uh, played by Samantha Lorraine, she won't mind. The only problem is on the eve of the bar mitzvah, they both fall for the same boy. Oh. 
and the oh. friendship just comes apart and it just and hence the title You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah um, um, so yeah. Are Dua Lipa and Olivia Rodrigo in it? No they're not no but uh, I don't they're, usually like when films reference like actual singers actual singers because yeah. like in the world that Olivia Rodriguez and Dua Lipa exist also exists Adam Sandler as himself you yeah. know what I mean yeah. like how so it how am I meant to believe bit. that you yeah. are not you but Olivia Rodriguez is herself yeah it's like when an actor references in a fictional story an actor that they've actually started so, in a film with before yeah. That just breaks my mind altogether. Yeah. Um, but no, they there are popular singers in here. But the music is actually fantastic, and it was uh, curated and also original songs by S.D. Heim from Heim. So the music is a very big part of this. Sometimes a little too much so because there are an awful lot of like slow mo montages and like moments where the film almost breaks into kind of music video territory. Um, but I had an awful lot of fun with it. It is quite rough around the edges. You have the two Sandler girls, Sonny and Stacey. They're they're um, they're actually you know Adam Sandler's daughters. Um, one of them playing the oldest sister. The other um, they're they are a little bit rough. There's a, the performances at times are a little bit stagey, but they're only getting started. And to kind of like you know have the screen time that they have in this film, and to you know charm and kind of hold it all together, like it, it is quite impressive. Well, we and have a text in here from someone. Um Paul Murphy yeah. and, and and another text from an anonymous texter that says, okay. hello all, I like Adam Sandler, but I sat down to watch this movie two nights ago. No, no, no. I turned it off. It is a kid's teenager movie. Stay with the wine. And another text from Paul that says, that Adam Sandler bat mitzvah movie was absolute runnish, rubbish from start to finish. What's wrong with teen movies? We just mentioned John Hughes. Te- they, John Hughes made a career out of making teen movies and they're some of the best comedies in the 1980s. Like, there is nothing Name wrong a few with teen of them. movies. Like, First Beatles Day Off, Pretty in Pink. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. John Hughes made Home Alone. Home Alone is a kid's movie. It's one of the best comedies of the 90s. Like, I, that's just a... That's just a redundant argument, Mr. Paul Murphy. Um, is, it, but, <laughs> uh, is it just the case that people expect Adam Sandler to be in a, yeah. like, golf... You know, like, to not being a kid's movie. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, we actually, Happy Gilmore, yeah, that's what I was looking at. We do expect Adam Sandler to be in quite, you know, broad stuff with like, what's his, uh, like Rob Schneider and that, you know, you know the blonde haired fellow with the moustache who I can never remember his name. I know exactly. You can see him. You can see him. I think we expect him to just be making funny noises and fart jokes all the time. Here, he's playing quite, uh, you know, a kind of level-headed loving father mm-hmm. and he just saunters in and out of scenes and, you know, has a little bit, you know, has a wise thing to say because, you know, he's been through all of this, tells his daughter that, every you know, her the, the drama will pass and he leaves. And I, while I was watching, I was thinking more Adam Sandler. And I've never said that before about any of his comedies. He is quite effective in this. It's quite but a lovely But is that turn. because he's leaving you in a scene with two people who've never acted before and are really rough around the edges? <laughs> yeah. I'm not really selling this film. Sure, I'm not <laughs> really, no. Like, um, yeah, look, it is quite rickety. It, do, it does feature Adam Sandler, but it also has uh, quite a lot of heart. It is quite charming. Uh, I found myself laughing at a not, you know, the these kind of, you know, narrow-minded teenagers who think that this is the end of the world mm. and that, you know, this is the, the like the life will not get better if or life will just fall apart if they don't have the perfect mm-hmm. mitzvah party. It is quite funny to watch teenagers just implode like that. Um, but no, it, it is. No, it's effective. It's it's how many stars? We'll go with three. Three. Yeah. Solid. Out of five. Yeah. Wow. OK. Um, where is it available? Netflix. Yeah. Netflix. Yep. OK. Uh, you heard it here first, guys. Um, well, you didn't obviously because Paul Murphy's already <laughs> watched it and hated it, and our anonymous texter has also watched it two nights ago, so he didn't hear it first. But if you turn on your Netflix, it'll be there. Vanula, 
What's next? Talk to me about Tay-Tay. Taylor Swift, she's bringing the Eras tour to cinemas if you didn't get tickets. Which most maybe, people, I think, didn't. Which most people didn't. You can go see the tour in the cinema, just in the States as of right now, but I'd imagine, like, give it a few weeks and she's going to be announcing something kind of worldwide. How I expensive would imagine. are the tickets? I mean, this is the thing. It nearly took down uh, the AMC sites in uh, the US, so you can imagine it'll be the same thing here. Probably, actually, it'll probably cost the same as a standard cinema trip cost at this point with popcorn and all your uh, necessities. Um, yeah, so it's coming October 13th, which is a date of significance for Taylor Swift. I can't remember why. The Swifties will correct me, I'm sure. She's obsessed with the number 13. Um, but it's disrupted the schedule for another movie. Um, so The Exorcist, Believer, is now coming out one week earlier because they're like, we do not want to get swallowed up by the Taylor Swift first. So that's oh God, now coming Taylor out Swift October 6th. has ousted the devil. She has <laughs> so much power. We should be like terrified of her but also I feel like harnessing her power to, I don't know do something about climate change maybe what? even though she's probably also directly causing she's a lot of it. She's directly caught like the <laughs> anyway, climate impact. Taylor. Her yeah. footprint is chaotic. She loves private jets. I'm yeah. sure she offsets her. She, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm sure. I'm sure she offsets. I'm sure she does. Tell me <laughs> what the situation is with Taylor Swift. I don't understand it. Is it like why is she so relatable to so many girls having come from I think seemingly kind of a pathetic place where people weren't that into her <laughs> yeah it's really interesting she kind of we were talking off air about the the Croke Park cakes that she did around the time of the Reputation album and she did two she did two dates there and one of them I think sold out the other one not so much um, and she that was coming off the back of like kind of really public humiliation really ma- massive falling out with Kanye West and you know she was coming back did very little promo and it kind of seemed like she's hit her peak she'll never achieve it again mm-hmm. and then you had the, she had another album in between that but then you had the two albums she released kind of during the pandemic yeah during the pandemic you'd folklore and evermore and that kind of brought in a more like bigger audience that kind of took her more seriously as a songwriter because it was kind of experimenting with different genres and collaborating with different people and stuff like that so is it really just about the music i feel like swifties they know like they know her pulse, like they know her I, how many heartbeats she has in a minute. Like it's that's obsessive. I think she is. I think it is the songwriting, and I know if you're not into it, you're not into it. That's fair enough. But I do think the songwriting They're appeals catchy. to that. Yeah, exactly. And I think it appeals specifically to that audience, as you said, kind of young girls. She's even getting that audience coming up now, the new generations. But I do also think she is so good at harnessing that fandom power for better. And to be honest, for worse, a lot of the times, like she's very good at maintaining connections with them and having all these callbacks for them to recognise that kind of, I don't know, like, like she reply to them on them. Instagram. I've heard that she like pays their tuition or she'll support someone's GoFundMe or randomly kind of just, you know, do things. Well, definitely not as much now, but back in her, like, yeah, back in her very online days, it was very like, oh my God, Taylor Swift followed me or she saw this on Tumblr and... Blah, blah, blah. She still does that to a degree. Like mm-hmm. you see a TikTok video and it, 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 she comments and the TikToker then like their brain starts coming out of their ears because they can't <laughs> believe it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, it's that thing as well. Like she's very online. She's very still in touch with them while also maintaining this like you will never reach me because I am so powerful and mm. so famous. It's kind of nuts considering she's 10 albums in. She's 
And I don't mean this, 33 is not old, but in terms of like music industry terms, let's call a spade a spade. It is for a lot of people. She should really be kind of coming out of her peak and she's just not. She's making more money than ever, more popular than ever. I think all of her albums are in the top 50 or top 20 in the States right now, which is like unheard of. It's just... And that's why I'm saying, like, I think... But it, is she happy? But that's is she happy? Question. She is, is she happy? She is, uh, the she's amount not, she of money she's making. She about how she hates herself and how she's the problem and she's the anti-hero and she can't get a boyfriend and she, you know, got a list of Starbucks lovers, you know? Like, she's, she's not a happy camper. I have a text here that says, Guys, I went to see Taylor Swift in New York City. She performed for 3.5 hours. Every song was a hit. She was amazing. Such good interaction with fans. I was converted. That's the significance of this tour as well. It's a tour that charts 10 eras. It's called the Eras Tour. And as you said, she performs for over three hours. Like that's a feat of stamina in itself. You know what I mean? I didn't get tickets. I wish I did. I was dying to see it. Is it going to be sold out? Because some of the tickets were like 700 euro and I know people who were queuing up for tickets and then the only option was 700 euro Mm. and they were like, no. But did someone else sweep up those tickets? I think you'll see a lot of people selling tickets closer to the time. Wasn't that like an experiment in surge pricing or something like that? All three Mm. nights in Dublin are sold out, I'm told, by the producer. You did? I I hate you. I'm so sorry. Only 700 I I wouldn't have put you down. You just talked about bat mitzvahs and how you like Adam Sandler. (laughs) This is a Swiftie. I'm going to the pictures. I do like Taylor Swift. Yeah, look, I'm sure Taylor's 33. I'm sure she calls it the pictures as well. But no, I am a fan, but I will also Miss, she's totally fleecing us. Like, like uh, sixty euro for for an album on vinyl every time she reworks something. Maybe one hundred and fifty quid for concert tickets. Different pressings, different covers, yeah. different colors. She's the woman is greed personified. Oh she yeah, releasing yeah. Her, an album that she's re-recorded, but it's exactly the same. But she wants the rights of it back or something. Uh, yeah. yeah, her someone bought her masters out from under her. So she alleges. We still don't kind of fully know the crack there. So she went away and re-recorded all of her for her first six or seven albums that she doesn't have the masters for. I bet now, it was like her mom or dad. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like they're all loaded now they're all of them imagine that was it oh my god they were the villains all along like yeah. we talk about Jeff Bezos and his greed and uh, and it's like Taylor Swift is shaft like pretending to be everyone's BFF but like robbing them blind we yeah. have another text here that says T-Swizzle is the new queen of pop don't tell Beyonce she's not going to be happy um, we are going to review another wine after this what's it going to be called? Viano Vineyards Cabernet Sauvignon Oh, sure, we know it well. Right, we'll see you after this. Now we are back to Movies and Booze this Friday afternoon and we are coming back to you, Mick, for our second glass of wine, which you say is American and up to 12. Up to 13, by comparison to the Bergerac. Okay. But in the big scheme of Californian wines, this is pretty chilled out, actually. Okay. Um, Why, what should we expect from a Californian wine? It In general... Ripeness, booze. Um, Just like Californians, like loud and punchy and American. To a degree, but I didn't say that. <laughs> no, I uh, said <laughs> <laughs> but, but But yes, as in a lot of California wines would be like overripe, maybe a bit sweet, mm-hmm. um, overalcoholic. Like the, the use of oak can be a little bit crazy as well. There is a trend towards more restraint. And I think this wine, which is Viano Vineyards, Cabernet Sauvignon from Contra Costa County shows very much that trend towards restraint. So this is 13 degrees alcohol and like in general you would see a lot of California hitting 14, 14 and a half, 15, 15 and a half 
16 and then labeling it down or taking the alcohol out. Is that illegal? Like, can you just label it down? You, you can, in Europe, you can label within a 0.5. Okay. So if it was 14.99999, you could call it 14.5. And is that... Like, do I would assume that people would look for bang for their buck, so they're looking for the higher. But is it is that sort of restraint a kind of a blue collar wine connoisseur it, thing? It, it, it's definitely on trend. Okay. Um, when I started in the booze industry around 2000, 2001, you'd have a lot of people turning the label to see the percentage and go, oh, no, geez, that's good value. Yes. Oh, 20%, Asher would be locked. Yeah. <laughs> Not really the same anymore. Now, quite often, certainly where I work, we get a lot of people asking for You don't have to be coy, you can alcohol. tell us where you work. Well, I work in neighbourhood wine. Okay. But but we we would get a lot of people and but maybe that's just us. I don't know. I, I think the trend is towards kind more of reserved. more restraint. So if we all lift our glasses and toast Cheers. to Pat Kenny's tenure. No, I'm joking. Well I'm not. Um what should we smell when we smell this wine? So, or taste so it? this is when we the last wine that we tried, the Bergerac, is is definitely the fruit talking. This is like you're you're tasting and smelling a lot of the wine making here. Mm-hmm. So this is an oaky wine. The oak is kind of vanilla to a degree. You're getting a little bit of that creme brulee thing, a little bit of smokiness on on the on the nose as well. And um, on the palate, it is much much bigger and riper than what you get with the the Bergerac. But for a Californian wine, this is really delightfully restrained. This do is, people have this is to excellent. have done the course that you've done to get those notes? Or do people no. who drink wine frequently, can they, like, Fanula, can you, do you drink wine? I do, yeah. Can I can get t- some of the notes, not all of them. And can you get them when he tells you or can you get them from just sniffing it yourself, having get, a taste? Sometimes I get them and then you say it and I'm like, oh, that's what it was. So, um, like, we aren't good, particularly in English-speaking places, at vocalising aroma. That just isn't a, a thing we're good at. Because we don't have the words? We don't have the words, really. And, okay. and like, again, I'm talking about kind of blackcurrant and my blackcurrant could be your... My waddy. <laughs> blackberry. You, okay. know, you know what I mean? Your strawberry could be my raspberry. And like, when I'm talking about wine at home, I'll be like, that's quite red-fruited or that's quite black-fruited. Okay. Because I kind of like, it doesn't really matter to me. You have things that matter more to me in a wine that... You know, if you taste a lot of wine, you get to grips with like structure, which is acid, tannin, all of these things that aren't very sexy when you're selling a wine, Mm -hmm. but they are the building blocks of what makes a wine good. So having acid in a wine makes a wine refreshing and makes you want to go back to it. If people want to taste this wine, what is it called? Where can they get it? How much is it? It's called Viano Vineyards. It's about 25 quid. This is their Cabernet Sauvignon. They have various wines. They have a Merlot, they have a Zinfandel, a delicious Chardonnay. It's imported by a really cool company called Wine Lab. Um, we sell it at Neighbourhood Wine, obviously, which is why I've brought it along, because um, it was the easiest thing for me to get. And then, um, and I'd say Station to Station have it online and Devonies in Dundrum. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. We're going to talk about our next movie. We're going to listen to a clip from it first. Here we go. You like being in other people's business. I'm really beginning to like this place and the people. I'm starting to believe from the bottom of my heart that this is where I'm supposed to be. So, whatever it is that you and your friends do, please do it somewhere else. You're warning me? I'm preparing you. 
hai capito che ha detto? E si sta preparando, è simpatico. <laughs> So, for those of us uninitiated, talk to me about Denzel Washington and the Equalizer franchise. So Denzel is the Equalizer, uh, and he first started starring in the Equalizer movies in 2014. They're based on an 80s television series of the same name, which is actually which has also been rebooted on the small screen. Uh, so you have Queen Latifah playing the Equalizer in kind of a flashier. Uh, Kind of funnier, less violent uh, iteration. Um, but Denzel's been playing this character for yeah for nearly ten years. All the films have been directed by Antoine Fuqua, who's sort of the Scorsese to Denzel's Leo or De Niro. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is they made a bunch of films together. Uh, it was Antoine Fuqua who directed Denzel to um, an Oscar win in Training Day, which I think is their best film. Um, they also made the Magnificent Seven remake together. They've made um, obviously three Equalizer films. Uh, I think in the first Equalizer film. You had him as this ex-government assassin. And I say I think because these films are very easy to forget about about five minutes after you watch them. Um, so <laughs> in the first one, he was this really kind selling of... selling it to us. <laughs> he was this ex-government assassin. He worked with the DIA and the CIA and, you know, various other acronyms. And he basically just kind of killed bad guys and then, you know, developed a conscience and decided to retire. And then just so happened to find themselves in these situations where someone would tell them a story of how they'd been wronged or how they had money taken from them or how they were being, you know, followed or, or you know, some bad guys were after them and he'd go, and sort these these out. He'd go beat up the bad guys. He was sort of like, you know, this, this Robin Hood, vigilante sort of character. And most of his work was based in Boston. I think in the first one, he went up against a, uh, a Russian mobster, maybe another one in the second one, for reasons that really, I I, I never really understood with this, with this third one, they're not in Boston anymore. Like the Equalizer is in Italy. And okay. they eventually explain it in the final scene why he's in Italy. But I did spend the first kind of 10 minutes going, why is he in Italy? What's going on? Mm-hmm. But we open in a vineyard. There's an awful lot of bad stuff happening. Denzel's equalizer, Robert McCall. He's, you know, he's this he's this older assassin with a very particular set of skills. You do not want to piss this guy off. Like, okay. He sets his watch. He times himself basically unleashing all kinds of carnage on bad guys. We're talking about inserting guns into one guy's head and then shooting the guy behind them with that. We're talking about him, you know, stabbing people through the jaw. It's very, it's visceral, violent, and it's 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 hard to watch. I thought uh, it was just like they were spraying insecticide. In the <laughs> like, shoot them all. Disgraceful. <laughs> no, it's, uh, things things get bloody in this vineyard. Um, but uh, he ends up catching a bullet himself and he tries to make it off, but, you know, he's in a bad way. We've never seen the equalizer in a bad way. Oh my goodness. Uh, so luckily he's found on the side of a road and this kindly doctor in this village called Altamonte which is actually a real village but this is a fictional version of it in this film just outside of Naples he, the doctor takes him in doesn't answer any ask any questions and the equalizer you know I'm going to keep, just keep calling him the equalizer yeah. um, he heals up and he kind of settles in and makes a home for himself in this town and he kind of thinks you know I could I could really you know get used to this um, unfortunately he finds himself in a situation where the Sicilian mob are trying to take over this very old rustic town and turn it into a tourist destination and in doing that they're scaring the locals away and they're scaring the locals away by you know burning down this fishmonger's place they're you know beating up and killing people mm-hmm. so McCall okay, the equalizer says not on my watch heals himself up does a Batman decides to get the bad guys okay well, and what I mean by does a Batman remember in the Dark Knight Rises the way you know Christian Bale's Batman broke his back in one scene and then he just got you know someone you know gave him a dig and then he was healed we I, see, I, perfect. I haven't yeah. seen it put yeah. it yes. yeah it was like oh I've, bro- I've fixed your broken back just like that uh, we see Denzel basically climbing one staircase and he's like Phew. I'm done. I'm back, baby. This is it. Um, so it's 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 quite difficult to get behind. It's also quite difficult to to invest your time in a film where the baddies are just you know the usual Euro trash. Mob. I mean, the guys at one one stage you have the bad guys 
standing around eating spaghetti and saying, kill the American, kill the American. And it's just, well, like, this is, this is a cartoon. This is, why, why has so much time been put into Denzel's character? Because it really has. And he's very good at playing them. And the baddies are just generic. They could be from any action movie whatsoever. It's not interesting enough. And also the supporting characters, we have um, uh, Dakota Fanning as a CIA agent. All the CIA agents who are basically trying to, or who are basically standing around explaining the plot, they just stand with their hands in their pockets explaining <laughs> what's going on. And I, I realise Antoine Foucault is probably saying this is the way CIA agents in real life talk. You know, they're very natural around yeah, one another. Yeah, but it needs to be dynamic yeah, to it watch. it needs to have like, a bit of oomph there. Like, do you need to have seen, I think I know the answer to this question, do you need to have seen The Equalizer 1 and 2 to follow this movie? No, I have <laughs> seen The Equalizer 1 and 2. And at one stage, there's a um, there's a picture on a wall with Bill Pullman and Melissa Leo in it. And everyone's kind of looking as if to say, oh yeah, remember those characters in the first two? I've seen the first two films. And I was like, when was Bill Pullman in this thing? <laughs> well, and he was actually a big part of the second one. So no, um, even if you have seen them, they are a little bit hard to follow. I should so it is I found it quite clunky I found it a little discombobulated uh, there's an awful lot of um, an awful lot of time passes without anything really happening in this film and then all of a sudden violence mad violence for five minutes and then we're back to nothing, then we're back to nothing. Uh, so it's very badly paced but I will say there are scenes where Denzel sits down at a cafe and he is he has some peculiar tics and habits where every time he sits down to have a cup of tea he loves a good cup of tea um, he fixes the table the table has to be a certain way and I would watch Denzel organise a table all day. That is quite soothing. Maybe He's very he needs good at that. to go into ASMR videos on TikTok. We could just watch him like that. Um, to be honest, you haven't sold us any no. movies today. <laughs> Neither of us. No, 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 do watch the Bad Mitzvah one. Well, it's so lovely. It is. I don't know. Our friend in, in Limerick or wherever he Never was from Paul. said not to. Paul said not to. <laughs> movies and booze on Moncrief. With Marks and Spencer. This is not just food. This is M&S Food. A martini, shaken monster. Of all the gin joints in all the world, she walks into mine.